0: Hello and welcome back to the lecture series with Reb T, which we try to do in a bi-weekly format, the show where we talk a topic per session with some practical lessons. Tonight's topic, today's topic, is the situation of preoccupation. Sources are from Safaria, unless noted otherwise. Look out for the points to carry over, the PTCs, which are usually bold Italicized and underlined, especially if you're following along with the source sheet, or you're listening after and you go to sheer enjoyment, you can see the source sheet. Blaine Ediramitzosheim, Blaine Hard, We try to do that and put it up there online for you. All shiurim are on sheerenjoyment.com, especially that I do. But in general, they have wonderful shiurim. And then you could go to slash shiurim slash shiurim dash reb dash t. Shout out to Jake W and Ellie. As well, who work at Sheer Enjoyment and do great work. The lecture series, the PAL, the Audio DT and OT talk show are on different podcast forums. Please feel free to shoot me an email at rebt at com. R-E-B-T at com. The year is sponsored by Eloy Nishmas, Yehoshua, Yonason, Ben David Shalom. The sheir should also serve as a Zachas Le'Ile Nishmas Yehuda ben Dove Ber, the amazing Rabbi who was the pillar of our community. The sheir should also serve as a Zachas for the refuah Shalim of Yisrael Yitzchak ben Rifgalaya Shlomo ben Saradina, for the continued health and nachat of Livia Margalit but Ilana Devora to her family and for anyone sick or needing a Yeshua or a refuah. Divided attention or multitasking does not exist. It is a myth and a legend and does not work, period, in my humble opinion. How many things are you doing at once right now? Pause, stop, think. I want you to focus on the sound of my voice and only the sound of my voice. How is that? Are you focused? Are you paying better attention? Why is that? What were you doing before? Chances are, if you're like me at all, in general, we are doing too many things at once. I bet you are scrolling through your phone, looking at messages or WhatsApp, perusing the internet, spacing out, thinking of different responsibilities or things, or doing something else. Would you have known if I told you the winning lottery numbers to yesterday's winnings? Or the numbers that will win in a big raffle? I think not. The idea of preoccupying or preoccupation as defined by the dictionary is when someone is absorbed in thought or engrossed, excessively concerned with something, distracted. The state of being otherwise focused, something that engrosses the mind or consumes the attention of the person. How true is this definition in so many aspects of our lives and throughout so much of our days. Do we really focus? Can we just stop and be present in the moment? Don't dwell on the past or worry about the future. Just be present now. Be mindful of the moments we have right now and grab hold of them. Stay with them. The idea of multitasking is defined by VeryWellMind.org as performing two or more tasks simultaneously, switching back and forth from one thing to another, and performing a number of tasks in rapid succession. But this, as we will see, does not really work or happen effectively. Too often we are too preoccupied or otherwise distracted. If you're on your phone, you can't by definition be fully listening in to those around you. If you're talking on the phone, you can't by definition be fully watching your kids. You can't be fully working on a paper if you're looking for new shoes. You can't have a movie night with friends if you're on your phone distracted. You just can't focus. It just does not work. Period. In addition, what do we spend all of our time on these days? All too often, it is preoccupation with meaningless or mindless things, to the exclusion or estrangement of really important or crucial things. How many hours are spent on the smartphone, on the internet? on television, or movies, to the exclusion, God forbid, of Torah, mitzvah, chesed, or really meaningful endeavors, The dinner table in secular society, and even within our own society, has crumbled with the advent of the cell phone, and more recently, the internet, and the smartphone. Dates and anniversaries, parties and get-togethers, non-corona times, and emir Toshem in the future again, And dinners and lunches have fallen apart with people more interested with their Facebook friends, quote, than their real-life friends, with their tweets, quote, more than their real-life hangouts, and with their Instagram posts or Pinterest walls than the real-life walls around them. People photograph their food before eating them, text in front of real-life people trying to talk to them, And turn away from real-life customers or friends to answer phone calls, texts, posts, tweets, and WhatsApp messages instead. What in the world has happened to us? Where did all the value of face-to-face interaction go? When did we lose our interaction skills and abilities? I think of the posts, I think of the messages and the pictures where you see like five friends five quote-unquote best friends sitting at a table in a high school or a Starbucks or even college or beyond. They're all sitting there. And what does the picture show? All five of them glued to their phones sitting around the table. How sad is that reality? How tragic is that hangout? That's not even a hangout. It's like parallel sharing. It's like when I think of my kids, my little five-year-old and three-year-old, when they play next to each other but not with each other, they're having parallel play, not cooperative play. So here, they're having parallel hangout, not cooperative hangout. There's no cooperation. There's no interaction. It's parallel living, which is tragic living. That's like, God forbid, if someone's in a home, you're leading parallel lives. Yeah, you're in the same house. You might share the same room, you might be in the same living situation, but if you don't interact, you don't make time for each other, you don't spend quality time together, talk to each other, you're leading parallel lives, very dangerous track to go down. No one should ever know from such things spouses, friends, family, or anything. We should all have interactive lives. So when you think of people losing their interaction skills and abilities, sitting and texting the whole time, we're wondering what happened, when did this happen? How did this happen? What can we do? How can we fix it? First, we have to think, what is more important? Who is more important? The cyber friend? The Facebook friend? The Instagram friend or post? The Pinterest wall? Or the real friend? People say, I have 24,000 followers. I am so important. But the day your internet goes down, no one Cares. No one knows you're not relevant. You're not popular. You're not famous. So it's really nothing. You're absolutely doing nothing. The cyber element is really nothing. It's not really sticking. It's not tangible. It's not there to stay for the long haul. You could have a hundred thousand Facebook friends, but have not a single real friend in your life, which is tragic and sad. And we must shift our focus. Don't look for the cyber friend. Don't look for the Facebook friend. Don't look for the Instagram friend or post. Look for the real friend. As Kirke Elvis teaches us, Make for yourself a friend. Not a Facebook friend. Make for yourself a real friend. A real friend, we talked about this in the friendship shear, the shear about friends, a real friend will stand by you your entire life, will take care of you, do whatever you need, will be by your side through thick and thin. That's why we talked about the story in that shear. You could listen to that shear for the whole story about the guy who sent his son to see if he really has a friend. He ends up having half a friend because the friend only will help the son because he's the friend's son. But a real friend wouldn't even have to use that Jargon wouldn't have to use that element, wouldn't have to use the the saying that you're my friend's son to help. So we need to realize we have to move away from this. We have to acknowledge it. The first step in anything is admission. In all of these 12-step programs and anything that anyone has to, God forbid, deal with or contend with or fight with their whole life, the first step is always admission. We must admit, we must acknowledge that there is a massive problem out there cyber technology has taken over our lives. You know, you see all these, you think of all these posts and movies, AI is going to take over, robots going to take over. Isn't it true in some way that it already has? Hashem gave these beautiful inventions of the smartphone, of WhatsApp, of FaceTime and Zoom and Google Meet and recording But people have taken it and ran with it in the opposite direction. Hashem wants us to use things, needs us to use things in a Torah way, in a proper way, in a balanced way, but not to the extreme where your life is taken over by social media. You can use social media to help you. Don't have it swallow you, consume you, and drown you understand what's relevant, understand that there's a problem. Then we could talk about how to address the problem, which God willing, we will. And then we could see how to implement the ways to address the problem in our own lives, hopefully every single day. But first, we must acknowledge, we must understand, we must realize that there's a problem. We must Totally subsume the underlying belief that there is something wrong in society when we're crazy about social media, when it's taking over our lives, when it's encroaching on our time with our spouses, with our kids, with our families. When you feel the need, you feel bare without your phone. That's not normal. That's not a normal thing. What did people do for hundreds of years when they didn't even have a cell phone? They didn't even have a phone. Somehow they lived. Somehow they got by. Somehow they fixed it. You might tell me, but it was worse times, more dangerous times, or more anxious because they didn't know. And I would contend how much more anxiety, how much more depression how much more seasonal affect disorder and general anxiety disorder and depressive disorder, major depressive disorder, bipolar disorder, borderline disorder is relevant nowadays because of social media, because of cyberbullying, God forbid, because of cyber problems. So tell me which times were better. And I'm not talking about medicine and the beautiful advances we've made in society with all the wonderful things that help us. But think really which time Really what's safer, happier, and fuller. I think about these articles I used to read in the Jewish press, especially I remember when, by Arnold Fine, Zachos Yogan his Neshama Shadav Nalia, where he talked about these beautiful, simple times where people could have their doors unlocked and sit on the roof and just talk with their friends and feel safe, feel happy. People can have so much nowadays a million smartphones, a million cars, a million houses, and they won't feel happy. They won't feel fulfilled. They'll feel preoccupied. They'll feel distracted. They'll feel like they're juggling a 100 things but never feel happy. We have to understand underlying there's a problem, underlying there's an issue. Once we acknowledge it, accept it. Accept that it's a problem. Accept it's encroaching on your life. You can't pick up your, your son Or your daughter without staring at your phone? You can't wait five minutes for them to come to the door without having to be in your phone? Whatever happened to -to face-to-face interaction with the other parents? I, I don't understand. We go, I wait for my son to leave his school, 345, 350. Everyone is holding a phone because they're terrified of interaction. They're terrified of the world around them. It's crazy. People don't go anywhere without looking at their phone or listening to something or... Even people driving their kids to school, you should never text and drive. You shouldn't even talk and drive. Of course, I'm not even talking about anything else. Focus on the road. But there are people that need to have something. They have like this fear of being quote-unquote alone. We know we're never alone. We have our kids in the car. What kind of craziness? We know we're never alone. We know that. We have Hashem with us always. What kind of craziness? People walk around my community, walk around all over the place. They can't not do or be involved in something. And even though it's hard, yeah, I know the pull of technology. I know the pull of my phone. But when I'm bringing my kids to school, even if I'm so frustrated, it was so hard to get them out on time, I'm trying not to listen to the phone, trying not to talk on the phone or look at the phone, just time for me and my kids. I'm coming to pick up my kid. What kind of a message does he get or does she get that you can't even say hi to them when they walk through the door. You're too busy perusing your fuck phone. They don't have any time for you because you're too busy checking things on, on your, your have-o phone, on your have thing. What kind of a message does a kid get after 10 hours, 8 hours, 7 hours in school? The first thing they see is your, your parent on the phone. They feel less valued versus the phone. They feel less valued versus what you're wasting your time on. And I use that word, wasting, because we're wasting our time. What really comes out of using the phone? Use the phone as a medium, not as an end. Use it as a means, not as the end all bill. You have a day off, to not waste it your whole day sitting, going through your phone. Understand the problem. Recognize the problem. Then we could talk about where to go from there. But if you don't even agree with me... You don't even understand me and acknowledge me. What I'm talking about, we can't go anywhere from there. We all, in society and the world at large, we have to understand the first step is acknowledging, admitting that there is a problem. Who is more important? What is more important? Time is so valuable, we'll never get it back. You could always be early, my mom said to me growing up, but you can never make up late time. We can never make a miss time. You can always be early. You can figure out what to do with your time. Don't waste it on the phone. Interact with people. Talk to people in a healthy, safe, wonderful manner. Understand what is more important. Not the cyber friend, the real friend. What is more valuable, real life or online online life? Obviously, I hope the answer is crystal clear. And we must, we must fix this. People are just too focused on the the phones. This word we made up many years ago. Other people might have made it up also. But we're too focused on the phone. We're too focused on the internet. We're too focused on what everybody else thinks about us. Why do we care what everybody thinks about us? It should matter most and most importantly or only importantly what your spouse thinks of you, what your kids think of you, your immediate family. I don't care what 200 fake friends... Call them Facebook friends. Would they stand up for you in your hour of need? Would they help you and come over to you or they barely know you and they friend you because they met you on Michalah once? They met you at Mesorah once? They met you at a Shabbaton for Yachad or NTSY once? What is really important? Who is really important? We must fix this. People are too focused on this everywhere they go, especially at the table and let's prove it to you look at the study from ib psychology on thematiceducation.com. mobile phones mobile phones are everywhere and they're consuming more and more of our time could this be having an effect on family life you bet it does the researchers who conducted the study wanted to investigate how cell phones might influence the interactions of parents and children The researchers used a non-participant covert observational method, meaning a guy, the researcher, went at another table, was just watching what happened. He watched a total of 55 caregivers, could be a dad, could be a mom, could be a grandparent, eating with one or more young children in fast food restaurants in Boston. Observers wrote detailed field notes continuously describing all aspects of mobile device use and child and caregiver behavior during the meal. The sample was gathered by visiting a range of different restaurants. Don't tell me it's just at uh, it's just at uh, this restaurant or that restaurant. It's just a Dunkin' Donuts. You won't see it at Starbucks. They went to a range of different restaurants or food establishments and studying the people who were present at the time. A single researcher would buy food, sit near a family, or if no family was present, they would sit at a table and wait until a family who met their inclusion criteria, which was one parent and at least one child, or I guess it could be a caregiver also in a certain instance, but at least the, the person there with one child sat down to eat at the table near them. They would then take notes on what they observed. They took detailed notes on the parent's and child's behavior especially how they interacted when the parent was using their phone. They even included in their report things like what types of activities that were parents were doing on their phones, reading emails or visiting websites. Can't even say, yeah, they were like saving the world through their phone. They probably were playing Candy Crush or some crazy waste of time thing. The field notes were qualitatively analyzed, seeing the quality of the interactions, not that the quantitative data, but the quality to identify common themes. And the results showed that caregivers were often completely absorbed in their mobile phone use or mobile phone use. I'm going to say that again. The caregivers were often often means more than just half the time, probably 60% or more, I would say, often completely absorbed in their mobile phone use. They found that phone use decreased the caregiver's responsiveness. And their conversation with their children and highly absorbed caregivers often responded harshly to child misbehavior. Stop bothering me. I want to finish this Candy Crush. I want to finish this game. I just want to check another email, another text. Stop. Get off the chair. Stop running around. Why do you think they're on the chair? Why do you think they're running around? If a kid can't get positive attention, they're going to try and get negative attention, is what I would think from a psychological standpoint. Trust me, I was a psych major 20 years ago in Yeshiva University. Not actually, but I was a psych major in college those years ago. But we could say that if a kid is not responding appropriately and they don't have their parents' attention, we see this all the time in little kids, even in my own kids who are very little, they'll do negative behavior. So daddy and mommy are not going to give me attention when I do good stuff. I'm going to start misbehaving. So they started responding harshly to child misbehavior. You can imagine it would be a downward cycle. It would be a cycle... Uh, a self-fulfilling prophecy, if you will. They're going to act bad. You're going to react harshly. They're going to act worse. You're going to react harsher. It's just going to be a downward spiral. Not good. They also found in the study that kids who were ignored, what do you think would happen, would make increasingly demanding gestures for attention. One group of boys started standing up and singing Batman smells. in increasingly loud voices to get their dad's attention. So I believe this would for a sure extent to family members, friends, dates, and spouses. Obviously, your family member is not going to get up and start singing about Batman in the middle of the restaurant. Not as an adult, for sure. But it would be devastating to those around us to give up precious physical time instead for fake online cyber time. Don't waste those precious moments. Don't waste those physical, beautiful interactions with... Fleeting falsehood. The Spruce.com points out a website that talks about things home-related that even within the home, the problem comes at the dinner table all too often. The article points out that the dinner table is not the place for your cell phone. If you are dining, whether it's at home, at a friend's home, at a restaurant, you should definitely silence your cell phone. Answering and holding a conversation during dinner, or, and I would say during family time or hangout time at the dain- dining table, whenever you're hanging out together, you're spending quality time, is considered rude behavior. Holding a conversation, answering to someone else, by definition, you're showing your family, you're showing those around you that they're more valuable than the person sitting right next to you. I would extend that to say that answering texts or WhatsApps or posts or tweets or the like also is just simply rude and insensitive behavior at the table or during a conversation or hangout time with your family or friends or spouse. The importance of together time should not be interrupted to have to answer the fake cyber calling of a post on Facebook or a tweet or a WhatsApp message. You can always wait till later. We'll show you what one of the articles says to do. First solution, we acknowledge the problem, we understand the problem, what are we going to do about the problem, how are we going to solve the problem, at least a little bit at a time, a little aspect at a time, number one, no phones at the dinner table, period. Again, no phones, no phones mean no phones, no teenagers, no adults, nobody, no phones at the dinner table, period or whatever meal you're eating as a family, especially dinner. From an OPT perspective, I was thinking on one of the things I saw, you can make it into a fun game. One idea I saw was having a dinner box or a wicker basket. Who's going to put their phone in first? You know, it works with younger kids, obviously. Or you could say, you know... I, I love to spend time with you, but when you're using your phone at the table, I just don't feel like we could connect. I want to hear about your day. I want to hear about your test, what what teams you were on, what you did with your day. I didn't see you all day. These people online can wait, but we only have so many hours together before we're all going to go to bed. Let's put it in the box. Let's put it in the wicker basket. Let's make it into awesome points. Or we'll make it into an experience. Whoever puts it in first can get the first bite of strawberry whipped cream cheesecake or whatever good incentive food you could have or whatever incentive in general. Drop the phones in at dinner time. Take them out when dinner is done. And if you could go beyond dinner into dessert and hangout time, you know, family game night is a wonderful, wonderful solution also. So I'd call that first solution part B. Have family hangout time with board games. It used to be such a movement. Family game night, family game night, I remember the game of life was on that, and Monopoly, where did that go? Why did that happen? Great idea, it doesn't have to be just for Shabbos, during the week. And then you could use, like, actual writing, or keeping track of games in, like, a normal manner, instead of, like, doing it in a a roundabout manner, like, having to keep track. I remember when, growing up, we would keep track in Scrabble, you know, using, like, uh, cards. Because you can't write on Shabbos, obviously. But during the week, you do family game night. Phones not allowed. This is our time together. Just take away the phones during dinner and have family game night at least once a week. They say is a really great idea. Simple, easy, keep the phones away. It reminds me of how I used to drop off my phone in the front of the room during finals in Yeshiva University in college. And I took it back after. I think also in grad school and OT school and LIU we might have also had to give away our phones, put away our phones. It seemed harsh, but it was for my own benefit. To ensure compliance of the rules. It might seem harsh to a kid, but it's for their own benefit. And they might kick and scream when you you have the phone be be put away. Hopefully you won't have to take it away forcefully. But if they do in compliance, it's for their own good. And later on, they'll cherish those moments together. No one ever lost out by spending more time with their family, with their spouses, with their kids. No one ever lost out. In fact, that's what most people say. That they regret at the end of their life. People never say, after 120 years we should be Zohar, that last day of 120, they don't say, you know, I wish I spent less time with my family. What kind of a psycho thing would be Would they be that to say? Nobody says that. They say, you know, I wish I spent more time with my family. I wish I spent less time putzing around on the internet, or on WhatsApp, or on Facebook, or on my phone. I wish I was more productive. I wish... I did more in the world. Why do you have to wish? Start now. Why do you have to regret? Start now. A person who stands up, gets up and moves and does, doesn't feel the regret. They make the use of their minutes, their hours of their day. We should be like Avraham who used every minute. We should be like the great rabbi who we lost, unfortunately, in our community. A devastating loss. Rabbi Huda Kalmer made the most of every minute. So many people said he was in two places at once. How is that possible? He made more hours in the day that there were. We should all live up to that to be a role model like that. Not not schlepping around on our phones, wasting time, Time. Is the one commodity we'll never get back. So I had to drop off my phone finals, but it was very good. Many times I may leave or forget my phone somewhere and I feel liberated. I shouldn't have to feel liberated. I shouldn't have to feel so connected to it. But the first step is to be able to feel like you could leave that phone on another floor of your house. You don't need it every five seconds. Leave it in your pocket. You don't need it. I can't answer during time. I can't answer during bedtime. It should be the way we think. I can't answer during hangout time. I can't answer during dinner time. This is the way we should think. Leave your phone behind. Liberate yourself. A person who feels bare or incomplete without their phone may actually feel too addicted. And there are many addictions, many afflictions, many crazy things out there. Phone addiction, internet addiction is very much one of them. A person that cannot live a minute without their phone is going to have a real problem on Shabbos. A person that cannot live a minute without their phone is going to have a real problem day-to-day life. What are you going to do? We have to figure out to help the person. They must realize that it's an addiction and we have to help them out of it. If you feel too connected to your phone, that you literally feel bare without it, you feel like there's a, a part of you missing, that's a problem. That's not good. Leave your phone behind. Nothing's going to happen if you don't answer text calls or messages for a few hours, granted that everybody knows that that you're fine, like your, your immediate family knows that you're fine, that everything's okay, you know, and if someone's really addicted, you could always have someone be a partner or a buddy in the program, so if one spouse is crazy connected, the other spouse can vouch and say, oh yeah, they left their phone behind, he left his phone behind, but he's with me, don't worry, he'll get to it later, he just wants to take a little vacation from his phone, that's a real thing also, a phone vacation, really cool idea for people that are really drudged into it, so we can get them out. But the first step is acknowledging we're too preoccupied with our phones. We're too preoccupied with the internet. We're too preoccupied with so many aspects. And we have to change it and use it for good. I'm a huge fan of smartphones. Don't get me wrong. I'm a huge fan of the internet. But what can we do with it? The smartphone allows me to have my shows, to have my audio recordings, to have my podcasts. I love internet. I need internet. I need smartphone. But does a smartphone control my life? Or does my life control the smartphone? Do I live to be on social media? Or does social media help me live? Think about that. It's like eating to live or living to eat. We shouldn't live to eat. We eat to live. Social media shouldn't be the reason that we live. But social media should help us live better. It's a tool Hashem gave us to live better. You have ideas for shows like we try to do. It helps you live better, fulfilling your potential, reaching more people, sending it out into the universe that Hashem created. A way to get out and reach people. Wonderful, but don't let it control you. Don't let it define you. Don't let it be dominating over you. Even the non-Jewish elements, the secular culture have realized the devastating effects on family time and life that social media, that the phone, internet has on us. Even Common Sense Media, a website that rates movies, TV shows, books, and more, so parents can feel good about the entertainment choices they make for their kids. This website has a movement called Device-Free Dinner. From who? The beloved characters of Sesame Street where they explain that the ideas of movement for healthy habits the whole family will love, from the Sesame Street family to yours. Try a device-free dinner tonight. Hashtag! Don't go look up hashtags. You'll get lost for hours about these crazy things all over the place. Another crazy thing, the hashtag movement, which is, a in recent years, how everything needs a hashtag. Crazy waste of time. But in general, they're just calling it device-free dinner so that people could reach out to it. Why go device-free? Taking a break from devices is proven to have positive benefits for kids. From better nutrition and focus at home to fewer problems at school. Commit to putting devices away for those 30 minutes. Or if you have small children, the six minutes of dinner. Or if you have really small kids, the six seconds of dinner. Turn your devices on silent. Better yet, and I agree, put them somewhere you can't see them. Where a notification won't bother you, won't tempt you to check check it. Putting them on silent, you won't even get notifications. And then five hours later when you go to check, Whoa, I got 100 notifications. I will take 10 minutes to go through them. Let's go back to everything else. Enjoy a device-free dinner as part of a healthy digital lifestyle. We talk about healthy eating. We talk about healthy habits. Why don't we talk about healthy digital habits? Healthy digital lifestyle. Make the most of family time. Have a healthy outlook on life, especially, and maybe even most importantly in some aspects, in your digital life. Make the most of family time. Second solution, no phones at hangout time for spouses or families to friends, period. Think about the craziness. If you were back in the dating world, how rude would it be to be texting or talking on the phone? And this is to people later on that have parents or kids. But even now, if someone's in the dating world now, how rude would it be to text or talk on the phone the whole time you're on the date? That is so crazy rude. Is it any less rude to your friends? To your family, to your spouse, to your kids? Is their time, God forbid, any less valuable than you when, you when you were in the dating world trying to quote unquote make a good example to try to get to know your date and see if you're compatible? What kind of craziness? What do we convey to our kids or to others? That it's more important to answer this message, answer this call than to spend time with you and to spend so much time on the phone. Okay, you're answering a message for a minute, answer a call for a minute, but to be on the phone for 30, 40, 50 minutes, an hour when everyone's waiting for you, when everyone wants to spend time with you for hours, you're on the phone. Sometimes I, I myself am guilty of this, of course, but... Sometimes I'll ask my wife permission and I try to be better. Always I should ask my wife permission to answer the phone. But sometimes I'll dafka call a guy, call a friend when everyone is sleeping. So let's say I, 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 I we put the kids to bed, then my wife and I watch a movie or, or show or whatever. We spend time. And then after a very long day, she's exhausted. She falls asleep, but I still have a little bit of energy. Then I could call my friend because I'm not taking away time that we would have spent Otherwise, and I did that a couple of weeks ago. I I spoke to my friend for like two hours. Another friend I haven't talked to in years for two hours, but it was after she went to sleep to take a nap. Maybe the laundry was going anyway. What a perfect time to do so. Catch up with your friend, please. Good stuff to hate, but not to the detriment of those around you. So if you're out, if you're if you're busy with different things anyway, she you have to do a project. She has to do a project. Okay, but if you're in that time together, there's a better way to do it. What do we convey to others? We give up the time of those real life people around them, instead, to be on the phone. What madness? What ludicrousity? What insanity? Understand it's not any less rude to your family than you would do on a date. It's more rude. These are the people that you love more than anything in this world, so their time should be more valuable than anyone in the world. Allah has come of comma, how much more so than when you are on a date with someone. You have to understand what we're what we're portraying, what we're showing. Don't be preoccupied, distracted, or multitasked with the wrong things. Look at what Aish points out from author Slovy John wolf the, the daughter of the famous amazing Rebbiton Young in an article talking about this exact topic. Most parents agree, and this was already a couple of years ago in 2010, so yeah. how much more so, nowadays that the situation spiraled even more out of control. Most parents agree that our children are excessively plugged into their devices. A 2010 study cited that the average 8 to 10 year old listen to this, spends nearly eight hours a day with a variety of media. And older children and teenagers spend more than 11 hours per day. If an eight-year-old child goes to sleep at nine o'clock, wakes up, wakes up at seven o'clock, how many hours do they already have to begin with in the day? It's definitely not 24 hours. It's definitely not 20 hours. And you're telling me that they figured out that eight hours a day is wasted on media is thrown away, tossed to the sea on media. And then a teenager, even if they go to sleep at 12 and they wake up at 6, you only have 18 hours in the day and 11 of those hours are wasted on media. What a chaval al What a waste of time. Texting may become the next behavioral obsession. I already think now it is the next obsession, along with tweeting and Facebooking and WhatsApping that parents must contend with. Half of teenagers send 50 or more texts a day. I think the number is much higher now in 2020. And 13 to 17-year-olds average 3,364 texts a month. Again, now in 2020, I think it's much higher. These are alarming statistics back then that are much more alarming nowadays. For sure, keep increasing. When adults desire uninterrupted screen time or wish their kids to keep quiet, don't bother me. Not bother one another, we use technology as a convenient babysitter. Again, I'm not a malach. My kids watch all the times. If a kid needs to take care of this, the other kids might watch this or what this. But again, they're not on on the TV. We try really hard. They're not on the TV for hours. Even when my kids are home with me during crazy corona, and when they're home with me when they have to Zoom, they might use the tablet. But if they use the tablet, I don't want them watching watching TV. Let them do an interactive game. But even so, that's not the whole day. We cannot use the TV as an excuse for a convenient babysitter. I'd rather my kid, my, my girl, climb all over the furniture, which she does all day, rather than sit her in front of a TV and use it as a babysitter. That's not a good solution. We don't stop to think about the potential harm that we are causing. Conversation ceases Carpels dining out, and relaxed leisure time are spent in silence are wasted. Those beautiful connections are wasted. Families stop sharing thoughts, interactions, and laughter. Everything has to be a balance. I would also say you can't just, you, you can't just be engrossed in, in anything for the entire day. You know, Tehillim is beautiful. Davening is beautiful. But if you do that 24 hours a day, you're also wasting out on the beautiful time you could spend with your family. You know, even, even uh, David Melch of Talem fame would wait till midnight to do beautiful Tikkun Chatzos or to do Talem at night, but he still had to make time for running the kingdom. He still had to make time for his children. He still made time for running the country and his wives and the like. Anything has to be in a, in, a, in, a, in a balance, you know. can't be on the phone all day, you can't be in shul all day, you can't be, you know, diving all day or learning all day. Everything needs to be a solution in order to balance everything. The Rambam himself, one of the greatest sages, explains that everything has to be balanced, and who better to tell us than him? He was a great sage, but he was also a great doctor, and he explained to us you have to have hours for sleeping, hours for learning, hours for working and eating. Everything has to be a balance. Understand what happens when we waste this time. Families stop sharing thoughts, interactions, and laughter. In the best-selling book, The Big Disconnect, Protecting Childhood and Family Relationships in the Digital Age, Dr. Steiner Adair recommends these very practical following steps. And I would tell you, please think about these steps. It can help everyone, all of us, myself for sure included, how to navigate digitally in this crazy age. Parents should think twice before using a mobile device when they're with their children. Parents should think twice. We think twice. We're supposed to think twice before we act, before we speak. Why don't we think twice before we use this phone, this device, when we're with our children? It's more important to look at the sales sales or to look on Amazon when we're with our kids. That's why a lot of times when I'm doing laundry and I'll run down, I'll sneak my Amazon purchases so my kids don't have to see, what are you buying? What's coming? What's coming, Mr. Amazon? And I love Amazon. I am the first to say I'm an Amazonaholic, but it doesn't have to be when I'm literally sitting next to my kids. And of course, I have to be better at this, but You know, we could buy it at night when they're sleeping. They don't have to know what comes. It just magically shows up like from a rainbow. It just drops from the sky onto our front step. I don't know how he brings it to us, Abba, but somehow Amazon gets it to us when we're not looking. Because sometimes we buy it once they're sleeping, which is another one of their solutions. Think about using the device when you're with your kids. This solution I love. Check emails and texts before interacting with the kids in the morning. When the kids are away at school and after the kids are sleeping in the nighttime. Again, this solution I love. Check emails and texts before interacting with children in the morning. Or or if you wake up before your spouse, before she gets up, before he gets up. Or during school hours, or I would say during work hours, when you're both at work anyway. And after the kids' bedtime in the evening, after they're sleeping anyway. This solution is also crucial. What we talked about before, when parents come home from work, when any of us come home from work and we, and we're when we're coming home to someone else or if someone's visiting or the like, you should walk through the door unplugged. Don't take out the phone. Don't use the phone. And if you're greeting someone walking in from hours, don't be on the phone. Don't be looking at the phone. Give them your undivided attention. How was your day, honey? I missed you, good to see you. Tell me about your day. Hey buddy, how was your school day? Tell me what it was. What did they see? What's the reaction they get that they can't even get you to look up from the screen when you come home, when you walk through the door? Walk through the door unplugged. The first hour home should be used to reconnect with family. I haven't seen you for 10 hours. I haven't seen you for eight hours. Tell me about your day. I don't know anything about your work life. Tell me what happened at work. And even if you're working remotely, if, you're, if your person's not with you, your family's not with you, even if you're sharing with friends a house or a dorm, they're not with you. Talk about it. They weren't sitting with you exactly in your chair. They don't know what was going on. Talk about it. Children have said that they despise the phrase, I'm just checking. They do not like that phrase. As parents look at their devices for emails or WhatsApp, just checking is not an excuse. Kids do not like it. Establish cell phone free zones for both parents and kids. Critical moments like pick up from school are crucial transitional time for children to talk about their day. My son comes out of his day, he hasn't seen me for 8 hours. I should be on the phone? I should be looking at my phone when he runs out of the school? What kind of a, a, a what kind of a distraction? What kind of a lack of giving him my attention is that? Or her? What kind of a lack of, of awareness is that? It's so rude on some level to our own kids. Parents should not be saying like things like, just a minute, I need to finish this call. Hold on, hold on, Charlie. I just need to finish it. No. Forget the call. Who's more important? Even if the deal is worth millions, I always say, Money comes and goes, but the memories, making your children happy, making your spouse happy, doing mitzvahs and chesed, that will never go. That always stays with us. You will never regret putting your family, your kids, your spouse first. You'll never regret that. And Hashem will get it back to you. Hashem will take care of you. You realize what's priority. You realize what's important. Putting away the call to greet your spouse, to greet your family, to greet your friend, to greet your kid, that is the right thing to do. Homework should be done without phones in hand. Dinner time, both at home and in a restaurant, should be a device-free zone. We nourish not only bodies, but souls too when we join together at the table. Young children should not have their own cell phones or iPads in their bedrooms. Children get older, be wary of devices when they are used, where they are used. Teenagers require limits. It's not too late to set limits. It's never too late to set limits. You're the parent, parent first Parents say, I want to be their friend. I want them to be my best friend. All right, that could come later. But when they're under your roof, they're still teenagers. They're still kids. You need to be setting the rules. You need to be the parent first, friend second. You can't always be the friend. You need to be looking out for their safety. You need to be looking out for their health, their emotional health, their mental health, their physical health. You need to look out for them. Friendship can come later. Especially as you share more and your kids have kids and their kids have kids. You could share that later. But when they're single with you under your roof, you have to be in charge. Don't be afraid of taking charge and enforcing appropriate rules. I don't have kids that are teenagers yet. I always tell my wife I'm terrified of the teenage years. And I tell her you really got to take point for the girl when she goes to teenage years. But I'm terrified of teenage years. But... This is what they say, and I've seen it often. We have to make sure, even when they hate us, even when they don't want to talk to us and they're in their teenage phase, we have to make sure they're safe on all levels with rules, restrictions for emotional, mental, physical well-being, health on all aspects. Caretakers should be made aware of the dangers of not paying full attention to the children in their charge. There's been a recent 20% increase in 2010 at least, in accidental injuries, I'm sure much more now, seen in pediatric emergency rooms attributed to caretakers texting or talking on their phones, not properly watching children while they're in the bath, God forbid, or on the jungle gym, God forbid. it comes when we realize we have wasted years looking down, missing out on connecting with those we love who sit right in front of us, waiting to look into our eyes. Our children need to feel that we value them that we value our time together. Our spouses, our friends, our families have to understand we come first. Our time comes first. They deserve our full attention for all our time together. We will never regret time spent together. There are therefore proven ways we can minimize the distractions, we can minimize the clatter and the, ch- and the chatter of the device and the technical digital world around us. Digital versus those who really matter, our family and friends around us. Understand what we're preoccupied with, what we're distracted with, what we're juggling or supposedly multitasking, which is not existent In Judaism, Hashem already put this in mind thousands of years ago, mandating 25 ye- hours without phones, Shabbos, without cyber-fakeness, without computers, without distractions, just good old time with the family, singing, eating, hanging out, relaxing, reading, playing, etc. Disconnect to reconnect. Unplug to recharge. The best model for how to get real connection is to look to Shabbos. No phones at the table, no phones taken over time with our families, no electronic distractions, period. If we could do it for a day every week, we could do it for an hour a day at dinner, a few hours at hangout time for others as well. We should do it ourselves every day. Disconnect, put the phone away, focus on one thing at a time. I want you to try to do this activity with me. Secular Society has noticed and, and knows how damaging this is. Psychology Today points out, you think you can multitask? Multitask, think again. Research in neuroscience tells us the brain does not do tasks simultaneously, as we thought or hoped it might. In fact, we just switch, switch tasks quickly. Each time we move from hearing music to writing a text, talking to someone, there's a stop-start process that goes on in the brain. It's very rough on us. Start, stop, start, stop. Rather than saving time, it costs time, even small microseconds. It's less efficient, we make more mistakes, and over time it saps our energy. I want you to try this. And I apologize, this year is going to go a little longer than usual, but this is very near and dear to me. I feel very passionate about this topic, and I hope you stick with us. We found this very cool task I want you to try. I want you to take this small test with me from a workshop about mindfulness delivered by the Potential Project. Use your potential, understand your potential. A group based out of Denmark. Here it is. I want everyone who's listening to try to do this as you listen in. Please grab a paper and a pencil. I will give you three seconds. One, two, three. I say this to all of my students. I'm an OT by trade. So almost every session you'll hear me say, Do you have a paper and a pencil? Can you please grab a paper and a pencil? I'm waiting. Please, I need you to grab a paper. Please, a, p- a paper. And a pencil, please. So please grab a paper and a pencil. I want you to draw two horizontal lines on a piece of paper. One line horizontally and a line immediately underneath it. I'll give you two seconds. One, two. It would be wonderful if someone could time you if possible. Otherwise, try to time yourself on a watch or a timer as you carry out the following two tests. On the first horizontal line, I want you to write... I am a great multitasker. I'm going to give you 10 seconds. Again, the sentence is, I am a great multitasker. On the first horizontal line, please write that sentence. I'll give you another five seconds. So that was the first line. I am a great multitasker. On the second line, please write out the numbers 1 to 20 sequentially, like these pictured on my sheet, but I'll say it to you. We're going to give you five seconds to do so. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. If you timed yourself... To write, I'm a great multitasker, and 1 to 20. If you timed yourself, you know how long it usually takes to do the two tasks? Usually, it's about 20 seconds, the the task study explains. Now, let's multitask. I want you to draw two more horizontal lines, please. This time, and again, try to time it. We're going to do it something differently. We need to write a letter on one line. The I am a great multitasker we're talking about sentence. So you write a letter from that sentence on one line and then one of the numbers from 1 to 20 on the next line and then you go back and forth. So it would be I, then 1, then A, then 2, and M for M, then 3. So I'm going, I am a great multitasker and 1 to 20. You think you can multitask, right? You're a great multitasker, right? You're the best in the world. I can juggle a hundred things at once. I'm super dad. I'm super mom, right? Try this simple task and tell me how good you do at this task. How well you do at this task. Don't pretend that you're so amazing. You do it. You realize how difficult. You go from I'm multitasker, one letter at a time, to one to twenty. Each line, you switch off letter, number, letter, number, letter, number. See how well you do. So you're writing one letter at a time on the first horizontal line, one number at a time, one to 20 on the second line, and you switch back and forth. So it'll be the letter I on the top line, then the number one underneath, and the letter A on the top line, and then two underneath, until you give the whole sentence on top, I'm a great multitasker, and numbers one to 20 on the bottom. I'm going to give you 10 seconds to do that. The truth is, and I know it sounds weird for me to pause and to have silence, but the truth is it takes much longer to do this. If you did the task, and I applaud you for trying and doing it, I'd say your time is at least double or more what it was on the first round. You also may have made some errors. You were probably frustrated since you had to rethink what the next letter would be. And then the next number, that's switch tasking on something so very simple. But that's exactly what happens when we attempt to do many things, often more complex at the same time. So next time you think you're multitasking, stop, pause, be aware that there is no such thing as multitasking. All you're doing is switch tasking. If you're going to call it, call it right. Don't tell me it's multitasking. Call it what it really is. Call it for what it is. Switch tasking. Give yourself a time limit, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. We're going to read in a second, 20 minutes is really good, 45 minutes. Focus on just one task at a time. See if you can complete that one task better, faster, with less energy. The idea then that multitasking exists is really a fallacy, a lie, a myth. There's no such thing. There's only switch tasking. That's not something anyone is good at, as we really can only focus on one thing at a time. We're only human. So do one thing really well and do it right and switch to the next thing. Look at this quote from ResearchGate which explains that it seems to be impossible to maintain the brain activity on the same high level if two modalities, two things, two tasks are in the focus of interest simultaneously. You just can't do two things at the same time. You really can't fully focus two things at the same time. I don't care how good a multitasker you think you are. Show me anyone who's on the phone texting while trying to talk to their friend, their family, their spouse. You'll never see the full attention given. Yeah, you're looking something internet. Yeah, I'm listening to the movie. I'm watching the movie. I'm involved in the show. I'm listening to your sheer. I'm listening to your speech. You're practicing. No, you're not. You can't fully focus on two things at the same time. The Dana Foundation points out with two authors that have PhDs. They work five years for those, at least. You may barely notice you're frequently multitasking. You may be driving to work while listening to the radio, talking to a loved one on the phone, or perusing Facebook while texting a friend, or switching back and forth between a high-level project, like a report or a chore, like making an appointment. Multitasking means trying to perform two or more tasks concurrently, which typically leads to repeatedly switching between tasks. Task switching. We're leaving one task unfinished in order to do another. The scientific study of multitasking over the past few decades have shown has revealed important principles about the operations and processing limitations of our minds and brains. One critical finding to emerge is that we inflate our ability to multitask. There's little correlation with our actual ability. In fact, multitasking is almost always a misnomer as the human mind and brain lack the architecture to perform two or more tasks simultaneously. It just doesn't happen. By architecture, we're talking about the cognitive and neural building blocks and systems. We can't multitask because the way that we are built. When we attempt to multitask, we're usually switching between one task and another. Human brain has evolved to single task again. Focus on one task at a time. Keep your mind in focus on one thing. Verywellmind.org points out, Research has shown our brains are not nearly as good as handling multiple tasks as we like to think. Researchers suggest some of them, multitasking can actually reduce productivity by as much as 40%. It might seem you're doing a lot of things at once, but really you're just shifting attention. It makes it difficult to tune out distraction and could cause mental blocks to slow you down. Research has shown it takes a serious toll on that productivity. You can tune out distractions from people who focus on one at a time one at a time. A multitasker will have less ability to focus than someone who deals with one thing at a time, by definition. It can impair your cognitive ability if you do many things at once. Psychologists asked study participants to switch tasks and measured how much time was lost. Then they, they had people do tasks more than once and saw what was lost. And obviously people that switched tests lost significant amounts of time between multiple tasks lost even more time as the tests become increasingly complex. And there was one study by Rogers and Mansell, another study by Rubenstein, Evans, and Meyer. You just can't do it. To avoid the delirious impact of multitasking, limit what you do at any time to at most two things. And use the 20-minute rule. Instead of constantly switching between tasks, try to fully devote your attention one task for 20 minutes at a time before switching to the other. If we didn't fully prove our point yet, we'll bring one more observation from a secular news culture paper, Stanford News, which says, from a Stanford psychologist, we don't multitask, we task switch. Our brains only allow you to do one thing at a time. Multitasking falsely implies you can do two things at once. You can't. We could only do one thing at a time and we switch back and forth. You think about kids that are on their laptop writing a paper, looking at Facebook, thinking about the TV. They're going back and forth. They're heavy media users. They can't focus. You need to focus on one thing at a time. Heavy media multitaskers, people who multitask a lot of things, quote unquote, significantly underperform on tasks on working memory and sustained attention. There's not a single published paper that shows a significant positive relationship between working memory, capacity, and multitasking. It's just not there because it just doesn't exist. So we hopefully have shown we really need to stop the craziness of multitasking and preoccupation and distraction and focus on the item at hand, the person in front of us, the conversation we're having in the present. Think about how thousands of years ago the Talmud, the Gemara, already knew this. Especially when involved in a positive mitzvah, we can't be focused or involved in another one. We just don't have the ability or koach to do so. We learn from the Gemara and to the famous principle About how you got to focus. Rabbi Hanania ben Akavya said, Scribes of Torah schools, Tzfilin and Mezuzot, their wholesome and retail salesmen. Anyone involved in sacred work, including those who make blue dye for tzitzis, are exempt from Shema, from Amida, Shemona Esra, and from Tzfilin and other mitzvahs of the Torah. Why? Fulfills the words of Rabbi Yossi Haglili, who said, Haosek be mitzvah, min mitzvah one who is involved in a mitzvah is exempt from doing another mitzvah. Why? Why should that be? I believe on some level, by definition, the Gemara knew you cannot focus on more than one thing at a time. You need to do the mitzvah at hand. You need to complete the mitzvah at hand. You just can't do more than two things at one time. You focus on one thing at a time. The Talmud tells us elsewhere, we'll see the source, a mourner who didn't bury his dead yet, lo we should never know from such things, is exempt from mitzvot, so they're overwhelmed, they're consumed with dealing with the dead and the need to bury the dead. Lahavdil, also a groom, is exempt from mitzvot, so he's busy with getting married and taking care of his new wife. So the Talmud already knew long before secular culture or quote-unquote science how we really can only focus on one thing at a time. We need our minds to be focused on that one thing. Always look to Judaism and the Torah for the real answers. Because everything is there, even thousands of years before modern society ever saw it. Pek teaches us, Everything is there if we dig deep enough in the Torah. We just need to know where to look. So the next time you think you know better than the Torah, God forbid, Hashem's blueprint for mankind, or Lahab, you think you know better than science, that you really can multitask, realize and know and accept and acknowledge that you really can't we're just not wired to do so i want to show you some fascinating other sources before we go i know we're a little longer than usual and i applaud you and i commend you for staying with me i appreciate that sometimes we just have to go a little more than an hour it's just too important to relegate just to an hour so thank you for sticking with us the G'mon Brachos points out, even those who are involved in agricultural work, Rava says to the sages in Nisan and Tishrei, don't come before me. Involve yourself in your agricultural work so you won't be preoccupied with your sustenance all year. The Rambam points out in Mishneh Torah, in Hilchah Sfilah Khanim, a person finds his thoughts are confused, his mind is distracted, he can't pray till he gets back his mental composure. Mechotah the Rabbi Yishma points out, what should you preoccupy yourself with? With the study of Torah. With doing mitzvos and chesed. Things that came to us at Mara Torah. And that's the first main point after this whole introduction to carry over. Make sure your mind isn't distracted when learning or involved with Torah and good deeds. Fill your mind with doing Hashem's will. Be preoccupied with how to do more good. Nechotah Direb also points out even Moshe, by the birth of his son, what happened? Why did the Satan try to kill his son? He preoccupied himself with the wrong thing, in Hashem's opinion, with his lodging before his circumcising his son. How did Sipporah know what to do? The sages point out that it was very apparent in the way that the, the Satan was swallowing up Moshe, that where what was happening was the, the, the idea of which mitzvah had to be done. Hashem wanted to kill him because he didn't take care of the right things. He wasn't preoccupied with the right things right away. Obviously, he was going to do the mitzvah, but what should have been relevant, what should have been priority, should have been dealing with his family, should have been dealing with the bris mila. For ourselves, we should realize what should be priority, what we should be preoccupied with, who we should be preoccupied with, our spouses, our kids, our family and friends. Mishon Brachos points out one whose dead one is lying before him, we talked about before, is exempt from Shema, from Tefillah, from Mitzvahs, from Tefillin. Sifre Devarim points out, the Kohanim even have to be careful that their hearts aren't preoccupied at the time of service, only thinking about Hashem. Gamar Shabbos points out the story that a poor person came and knocked on the door, nobody helped him. Why? What were everyone preoccupied with? Everyone was preoccupied with the feast that they were eating, And nobody heard him. That's why there was a a sage, I think it might have been Choni Amago, who who saw a poor person in the world. He said, just wait a second, wait a second, I'll get you something to eat. He asked for food or or money, and he was just rummaging looking for the food or the money, and the poor person died, lo elenu. And Choni Amago felt so guilty, felt so upset that he asked to be uh, punished in every aspect of the mitzvah he could have done. Because you have to realize what the preoccupation is. If someone's if someone needs your help, your your kids, your your wife, your spouse, your your family, your friend needs your help, but instead you're going to take care of some random text of someone you could have answered hours later. Where's your priorities? Where's your preoccupation? Understand the points carry over. Make sure to have your priorities straight. Be involved with good things. Don't forget about others as a result of selfish preoccupation or distraction. Don't neglect your wife or your family member or your kids because you're watching a TV show. You want to watch? Good. Watch. Relax at the end of the day, assuming it's a good show, a clean show, um, a show that will help you re- re-energize, revitalize. But do it when they're, when everyone's sleeping and you still have chores to take care of. Sometimes I have my own show I want to watch after my wife and I watch our show together. So if she takes a nap and I'm doing laundry, okay, then I could watch. But don't watch. it to the exclusion of watching something or hanging out together. Make sure not to be selfishly preoccupied or selfishly distracted. Gemara and Yoma points out three fascinating people who obligate us to have proper preoccupation. They talk about Rabbi Eliezer ben Horsam. They talk about Hela. They talk about Yosef. A poor person, a wealthy person, a wicked person in Yoma, the Gemara and Yoma tell us they come to face judgment. And the members of the court say, why didn't you engage in Torah? If he tries to rationalize his conduct and say, I was poor, look at Hillel. I'm rich. I don't have time for Torah. Look at Rabbi ben Benchorsim. And the Yitzhar tried to get me. Look at Yosef. Each one and of itself is fascinating. Spend So long explaining each story. Suffice it to say, it's fascinating. Hillel the Elder, will summarize. Utter utterly would have read it to you, but in the interest of, of trying to get through everything in our little time left, Hillel was very poor. Hillel is actually one of my favorite characters. He says amazing things in anin. All about helping out and, and seizing the day, getting up there and really helping the world. Anyway, Hillel did not have a lot of money. He made a dinner a day, half a dinner he would give to his family, half he would give to the study hall. But one time he didn't have enough money. One time he couldn't get the employment, but he so wanted to study. They didn't let him in the study hall. He didn't have his tuition for the day. He didn't have his money for the day. What did he do? He wasn't going to be deterred. It was a bitterly cold, snowy day. He goes up to the roof. He suspends himself on the roof, and he sits at the edge of the skylight. He sits at the edge of it just to hear the words of Torah from Shemayin of Taliyah. That day was Shabbos Eve. The next day, snow, snow came down, and he was covered in snow. When it was dawn, Shmay says to have why is it so dark out? Usually it's really nice out. It's really bright and, and light streams into the study hall at this time. They look up, they literally see image of a man in the skylight. He probably collapsed from the from he probably had hypothermia, pneumonia, who knows what he had. They ascended, they found him covered in snow, three almost high, like six feet high. Can you imagine? Could have been dead. Such was his love for Torah. They extracted him. They washed him. They smeared oil on him. They sat opposite, tried to warm him. This man is worthy to desecrate the Shabbos for. So you think poverty is an excuse for telling me you can't learn Torah, the Gemara tells us? You think poverty is an excuse for your preoccupation, your distraction, your worries in life? No way. Look at Hillel. You think wealth is a distraction? Rabbi Eleazar was so, so, so wealthy that he gave up all his wealth to go study Torah. You cannot tell me you're too wealthy for Torah. And I paraphrase the story very, very loosely. Yosef at Tzaddik was inclined by his Yetzirah, by Potiphar's wife, every single day. You think you have any more tests than Yosef Atzadik? At he was surrounded in Egypt for years, alone, with Asnas and his kids. Yeah, but no one else. You think you have any more right than Yosef? We learn from Hillel, Rabbi Lezbun Khorsam and Yosef, to be obligated to study the Torah, whether you're poor, whether you're rich, or whether you have to fight with Yetzirah. Everyone can overcome it if you try. That's the point. Don't use excuses as a rationalization for not being involved with Torah and mitzvahs. Learn from Hillel, Rabbi Lesmin and Chorsim and Yosef about what time or money really is. It's in a, and don't use it as an excuse to pretend to be preoccupied or distracted or multitasking with the wrong things or not the best things. Sefer HaChinuch talks about if you're preoccupied with your work, you're thinking too much about it, you're not going to be able to think about anything else. Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar tells us the worst danger is to be preoccupied with physical pleasures. Think about real spiritual things to be concerned. When everyone was taken looting Egypt at, at the time they were going to be redeemed, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar points out in Shemot before he said, What was Moshe doing? He was preoccupied with finding the remains of Yosef. Moshe was looking to take Yosef to Israel. He was involved in spiritual pursuits. Rabbi yat points out in Devarim that Torah is only found about people who are preoccupied in pursuing matters which are oriented towards Hashem. He also says in Devarim, the righteous are drawn to preoccupy themselves with the matters of the soul that have eternal value and meaning. And he also says in Devarim, when you're preoccupied with matters that are not Torah, you should still have Hashem on your brain, still have Hashem in your mind, still have Hashem in your thoughts. That could be distracting to you. You could multitask that. When you're working, you think about Hashem, but don't multitask Nairishkeit. Don't try to multitask, which doesn't exist. Be preoccupied. The point is by the proper things that of Torah, mitzvos, and chesed. Focus on the spiritual. What truly matters. What's really eternal. Acquire tons of spiritual merits. The Kedas points out: Be preoccupied with Torah day and night. You're supposed to be busy. Use time to study Torah. Make sure you're involved in Torah. Make sure to toil in it. Make sure you're humble in it. Make sure to acquire the right thing, not to spurn Torah for garbage transient values, for wasting time on Facebook and Twitter, God forbid. Acquire Torah. Use your time for Torah. I know you can't complete everything, but you have at least try, Birkei teaches us. Understand, you have to put in your effort. Try what you can. Don't worry about the loss of money. Don't worry about the loss of time. There's no such thing as losing time when you're involved in Torah, Mitzvah, and Chesed. Your money won't help you, but time will be lost from you. Akira also points out you can't be preoccupied with the physical in this world. Use the things in the world to help you make more time. The smartphone the devices, the apps are supposed to help you, not swallow you, not hinder you. We should realize Hashem gives us physical innovations and inventions to help us. The point is to guide us to acquire more Torah. Use physical things for good. The smartphone for Torah and for mitzvot. Shnei L'Choda Brit tells that a person is preoccupied with advancing his ego, he will neglect his love for Hashem. He will neglect what he could have done in this world and be neglecting fulfilling commandments. He also points out anyone who is preoccupied with Torah study at night is a good thing. They'll have a thread of godliness, kindness throughout the day. Best Best hack to have a good day, be involved in Torah at night. Kabayasha points out, even if a person prays and puts on tzitzes, he's only giving lip service to Hashem if he's preoccupied with the wrong things. Rechaim points out in Bereshis, when 10 people sit on a preoccupied with Torah, Shechina is with you. When you're learning, Hashem is with you, sitting with you when you're preoccupied with Torah. He also talks about in Vayikra, when you're preoccupied with Torah, you want to ascend higher, and you get to go higher because Hashem is sitting with you. Another point, to banish the distractions from your midst while you study and pray, allow Hashem in. Let Hashem come with you. Banish the foolish preoccupation, distraction, or the divided attention in your days. Orachayim points out in Devarim, Zavulan and Yisachar have a beautiful partnership. Be involved in your day supporting Torah is great. You also get schar for that. And if you're the one learning, you also get schar for that. It's a partnership. So you can be preoccupied with commerce, but do it to include, not exclude Torah, mitzvahs and chesed and supporting other people who are learning. Tova Lodvanum points out, if you're only preoccupied with the wrong things, the physicalities, materialities, like eating and drinking, just rejoicing in pleasures, it's a sign of retribution. You're losing your reward. It's going to be destroyed in the next world. You're going to lose out. Kadusha Slavi points out in Boratius, the Shabbos helps the person emulate Hashem to be preoccupied with the spiritual. Maybe we could take from Shabbos into our week to think about how to be more spiritual, use our time better. Kedush Slavi also points out in a Shamos, when people are fully preoccupied with secular concerns and physicalities, you by definition cannot elevate yourself to the true service of Hashem. Another point is, realize Hashem gives us a great tool to disconnect, to reconnect. That of the amazing Holy Shabbos. You Shabbos is a springboard, a prototype, how to banish distractions, preoccupation, and a divided attention from our days. Put the phones and the internet away. Kudosh Hashem points out in Vayikra, if you're preoccupied in your heart and mind how to best serve Hashem, then you're really alive. If someone's preoccupied with the wrong things, it's almost as if he's considered dead. P'nina Halacha points out in tefillah, you can't pray when you're preoccupied. You have to overcome your concerns and designate a time to pray, especially for Mincha, when you're very preoccupied. And when it comes to Simcha rabai, the Halacha points out, you're very preoccupied making money to buy a better car, fancier or clothing or expensive furniture or a bigger house. That's the wrong things to be preoccupied with. That's another point to carry over. To feel and Torah learning is a great time to connect on the spiritual plane to Hashem. Throw away your other thoughts. Focus on Hashem, nothing else on your mind. Redeeming Revolence points out even the king had to juggle so much he was too preoccupied with running the state to lead a proper focused religious life. Not to mention religious leadership. If the king couldn't juggle it in the right way and had to figure out how to do so, all of us regular people have to figure out how to do so. Although Sir also know, understands that when you're studying in your house, you have to figure out how to properly study. You'll be distracted by the kids, by people in your house. That's why if I need to study things, sometimes I have to do it at 12 o'clock at night. Once I get everything accomplished and the kids are away sleeping. Chobos HaVavos points out, you got to put your thoughts in the right way. Don't be distracted by secular interests. Put your thoughts towards service of Hashem. He also points out, when you're occupying in secular matters, you're distracted from being concerned with the matters of the next world. That's a point to carry over again. Set aside time to learn to study Torah every day. Away from distractions, even for a short while, when kids are in bed early in the morning, at night, find that special quiet time to connect to Torah and Hashem. And the last two sources, Mishnah Torah Rambam points out in a person finds his thoughts are confused, his mind is distracted. You can't pray till you recovered your quality and sanity of mind and peacefulness of mind. Piney points out when reciting the Amida, have Kavana, focus on what you're saying. Don't get distracted by anything else during prayer. Find time, the point is, to connect to Hashem personally every day with talking to Hashem in a personal relationship. Even outside the parameters of Set tefila daily parameters. Converse with Hashem at any time, anywhere. Make quiet, peaceful time to talk to Hashem. Thank you for joining us. We're going to do the points to wrap up. Make sure your mind isn't distracted when learning or involved with Torah and good deeds. Fill your mind with doing Hashem's will. Be preoccupied with how to do more good. Make sure to have your priorities straight to be involved with good things. Don't forget about others as a result of selfish preoccupation and distraction. Don't neglect your kids because you're watching a show. Don't excuse. Ex, don't use excuses as a rationalization for not being a Torah mitzvah. Learn from Hillel, Rabbi Elazar Chorsem and Yosef, that time or money is not an excuse to pretend to be preoccupied or distracted or multitask with the wrong things or not the best things. Be preoccupied by the proper things. Torah mitzvahs chesed. Understand, there's no such thing as multitasking. Focus on the spiritual, what truly matters, what's really eternal. Acquire tons of spiritual merits. Realize Hashem gives us physical innovations and inventions to help us and guide us, not to swallow us, God forbid. To acquire more Torah, use physical things for good, like the smartphone for Torah. Banish the distractions from your midst while you study and pray, allow Hashem to dwell amongst you. If you banish the foolish preoccupation, distraction, and divided attention in your days. Realize Hashem gives us a great tool to disconnect, to reconnect, the high, this Holy Shabbos. Use it as a springboard and prototype and banish distractions, preoccupation, Divided attention or fake multitasking from our days. Put the phones and the internet away. and Torah learning is a great time to connect on the spiritual phone to Hashem. Throw away other thoughts. Focus just on Hashem with no other things on your mind. Set aside time to learn to study Torah every day away from distractions, even for a short while. Kids are in bed, early morning, at night, find that quiet, special time for Torah and Hashem. Find time to connect to Hashem personally every day with talking to Hashem in a personal relationship. Even outside the parameters of the set daily tefillah parameters, converse with Hashem anytime, anywhere. Make peaceful time to talk to Hashem. Understand to put that phone away, to get rid of that phone, and understand there's no such thing as multitasking. There's too much preoccupation, too much distraction. Hopefully, we can banish it from our midst and bring Mashiach speedily in our days, may it be, today. This has been the lecture series with Reb T. Join us, God willing, next time as we talk another topic per session with some practical lessons here on the lecture series with Reb T. And I'm your host, Reb T.